We have a couple of special guests today. Um, it's been a minute since they were here last. Uh, but this is Murray and Cheryl Greenwood. They're a couple of our missionaries. And um, they're visiting. They're on furlough right now. And so I thought it'd be really cool to introduce uh, those of you who don't know uh, the Greenwoods to the Greenwoods and uh, let them give us kind of an update on what's happening and kind of maybe uh, their perspective on things. So Murray and Cheryl, uh, tell us where you are and what you do. Very good. Good morning. Excellent. Such a pleasure to be with you this morning. I'm Murray, and this is my wife Cheryl, just to emphasize that again. Um, we work in Ecuador and have been there since 2006, so now we've finished 16 years on the field and um, are here for a brief time of home assignment uh, before we return to Ecuador in January. And um, so we're just here to share briefly with you guys today. And, yeah. So what's your, what's your mission look like for those who don't know? Okay. We are involved in a wide variety of different types of ministries. But the key for you to remember is that everything we do is not only designed to reach the lost for Christ, but especially to work with those who have come to Saving Faith to help them grow to maturity in Christ and equip them to reach others. We are multiplying laborers for the harvest field so that Ecuadorians are reaching Ecuadorians for Christ. Wait, but, uh, but how, what do you do during the day, though? <laughs> okay, well, I am a pediatrician, but I like to say I'm a Bible teacher who happens to be a pediatrician, okay? Because you get it wrong if you think, oh, well, he's a doctor, he does met, you know, works in a mission hospital. No, we don't own a hospital. I volunteer part-time within the public health system of Ecuador and in cooperation with the local Ecuadorian medical school so I get to see patients, but especially kind of be the pediatric consultant for about 10 general doctors where I work. That's part-time. Then we're involved in a wide range of other things. My wife has led and essentially mentored up a whole group, which we'll let her talk about, of uh, people giving biblical financial counsel hmm. and how to apply the scriptures to the way you live your life so you get out of debt and are able to support missionaries. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Cheryl, tell us more about that. that that's awesome. No, as we've been in Ecuador for a while, we've gotten to know people, and early on, we started investing in a lot of people in our church, just spending time with them, uh, doing Bible studies, um, participating in their lives, and we started to see a lot of need. Uh, there's a lot of debt. People have misinformation about how to use their finances, and they use it very poorly. And so um, we saw that as a need, and just because you become a Christian and you're in the church, it doesn't look any different than the outside world. And so there's a lot of scripture and a lot of guidance and wisdom in the scriptures about finances. So um, the people who've gone through that course have really been transformed in their outlook. What I've seen is that it's not really about money. Finances is about relationships. First of all, your relationship with the Lord then your relationship with your family, your husband and wife as a couple leading that family, and then the family and relationships with uh, extended family. And so when you get your financial attitudes correct, then a lot of relationships can be repaired and restored, and then we can make wise decisions for the future, um, not just for paying the rent or buying medicine or whatever, but financial decisions for the future of our family and to support God's kingdom, of course. Um, so... That's, we, from those courses, 
the one of the things I really emphasize is that you can share this with others. And so from many of those courses, we have people who volunteered to lead other courses. So at this time, after about five years of leading courses myself, for the past two years, I haven't led any courses. They're all led by Ecuadorians. And that's our goal, is that um, they need some encouragement and supervision and guidance in how to, you know, promote the next course or whatever. Um, when they have difficult cases, we talk together about how to how to help this particular family or whatever. But that's our goal eventually, is to disciple people who then turn around and share what they've learned with other people. And do you, uh, maybe just a story of, like, a success, you know, somebody that you feel like you've, you've really invested in and, and got to see him grow and uh, really serve. Right. Well, this would be just one example, okay? And you need to remember, perhaps you may not feel like you could ever do something like be a missionary. Well, God is not looking for equipped or perfect people. He basically, he will use you if you will let him. And we get, yeah, wherever you are, and we get the opportunity to participate in what God's already doing. So here's a story that illustrates that. Okay, I've been working in the clinic part-time, and for a few years at the clinic where I am, they actually had a family practice residency training program. And they had like four doctors who were learning to be family practice specialty doctors. Among those was a young man who at the time I didn't really know. And what was unknown to me was during that period of time, he came to Saving Faith in Christ apart from anything that I had to do with him. Now, it just so happened that as we were getting ready to leave for home assignment, one of the other doctors, his supervisor, was a devout atheist. I mean, proclaiming it, you know. And I had been working with her, and I'm like, well, if your point of view is right, and when I die, guess what happens to me? Same thing that happens to you. If I'm right, what happens to you? Not the same thing as that, you know. So, in other words, the consequences to her of being wrong about Jesus Christ, drastic. So, she was like, oh, well, okay, I'll, so pressured. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll read the case for Christ. So, I was giving her that, but she wasn't there that day. So, I left it in the hands of this young man, uh, Dr. We'll just. We'll call him Mario, okay? Um, And he delivered the case for Christ to her, praying for her all the time. And I didn't even know he was a believer at this point. Well, I came back, and he and his wife joined a Bible study I was leading during COVID on Zoom, Reasons to Believe, Evidences for the Faith. And we went through a series of studies on that. And then more recently, he came to me and requested that I would mentor him and disciple him. And so we have been meeting for the past two years, every week, very consistently. He's reading the scriptures and is being transformed by them as we apply the scriptures to everyday life issues. It's not just about head knowledge about God. It's about letting Jesus change your life. Uh, Just one uh, last thing. I'm curious. I mean, you, you guys have been out of the States for 16 years for the most part. Um, what's, what's, what, what does spirituality and Christianity look like? How's it different in Ecuador from what you see here? You can be mean. That's okay. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed with Ecuadorians, how they devoutly pray. There's um, 
a lot of need and they don't know how to meet their own needs. Um, relationship issues, there's a lot of domestic violence, um, sexual abuse in families, um, and there's a lot of hurt, a really a lot of hurt. And so when one person becomes a believer and the rest of their family are not believers, they feel very alone. And the only person they have to cling to in the middle of the night when they're terrified and afraid is Jesus. And I have testimonies of women who Jesus is their best friend and they cling to him in prayer. Um, and I think maybe in contrast to what we're seeing here is um, in the scripture, it talks about difficulty, um, persecution, and hardship. And in Ecuador, that's a common lifestyle. They don't find it surprising. And they, they use it as a momentum to cling to the truth and what they know and to cling to others who are believers. And so in the scripture also it talks about hardship and difficulty being to form a character. And many times, unfortunately, I see people running away from difficulties. We have, you know, a conflict in a relationship and we want to ignore it and not deal with it. But when we face that, God uses that to improve our relationships and to show an example to the rest of the world who are not believers to there's a person humbling themselves to ask forgiveness and facing the responsibility of a a poor choice or whatever, and that's a witness and a testimony. So to humble ourselves and really seek the Lord and obey him instead of, you know, seeking our own comfort and our own, own desires, really obeying the scripture and following God's ways, I think. That's awesome. Hey, uh, let, me, let me pray for you guys. And uh, just so you know, we've got some information, some cards out on the community life table. If you want to be connected to um, a newsletter and be praying for the Greenwoods, uh, help them out. That would be awesome. But thank you guys so much for being here. Gracious God, thank you so much for uh, Murray and Cheryl. Thank you for their, their humble commitment, uh, their faithfulness to the people of Ecuador. God, we just ask that you would um, bless and increase that ministry. Um, just see uh, the disciples that they're making become uh, leaders and spread your word uh, in a, a dark and, and, and sometimes uh, difficult place. Um, may we be joined, uh, in them, joined to them in, in the spirit and, and looking forward uh, to seeing them again uh, the next time they, they come back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we're starting a new series today. It's called The Waiting Room. Um, and it's in Habakkuk, which is a minor prophet. It's a, it's a three-chapter um, book, so it's not too long, but it is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit bizarre. And in fact, this book, uh, the, the rabbis said that it was um, close to blasphemous. Uh, and the early church father, Jerome, was worried that uh, it would teach us how to do Christianity wrongly. And so this is a little bit of a, an interesting text. And so um, the, the idea behind it, though, is, is the waiting room. And, and all of us have been there at one point or another. If you haven't, you will. Uh, the, the last time I was in the waiting room at the hospital uh, was when we were waiting to see what would happen uh, with my dad. He, uh, had a, he had a fall, traumatic brain injury. And uh, we were in the waiting room in the middle of the night uh, trying to just find out what was going to happen to him. And that was, uh, that, was, that was not fun. You know, the waiting room, if you, if, the last time, if you haven't been there in a while, the waiting room's cool because they have bad coffee. They got, they got water. 
Sometimes they have uh, some bland little cookies. It's often very comfortable. The chairs are nice. But everyone who's there is miserable. Because the reason you're there is you don't understand what's happening and you don't know if God's going to be doing what you ask. So this is a chunk of text. Let's, uh, let's, take it to, let's read it together in chunks. Um, this is Habakkuk uh, 1. This is the oracle uh, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Lord, how long will I call for help and you not listen? I cry out to you, violence. But you don't deliver us. Why do you show me injustice and look at anguish so that devastation and violence are before me? There's strife and conflict abounds. This is where it gets a little blasphemous. The instruction is ineffective. The the, the instruction there is covering the Hebrew word Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law. What Habakkuk says, in effect, is, God, your Bible has no power now. Because the people of Jerusalem, the people who are in charge, the, the priests and the kings... Uh, they, they hear the scriptures in, you know, the synagogues and in, in the temple. They hear it, but it doesn't change anything. They still are corrupt. They still are abusing people. doesn't matter how many times they read your law. They don't obey your law. Justice does not endure because the wicked surround the righteous. Justice gets bent. Is literally the Hebrew there. It gets bent. So there's this straight line of justice that's supposed to happen, but because of these people, because of their corruption, it gets turned to the side. We've all um, experienced something like this. And if you haven't, you will. A time where you cry out and you say, God, what's going on here? For me, uh, there's been many times in my life where uh, this has happened, where I'm, I'm, I'm in the waiting room and I'm, I'm crying out, I'm like, God, I don't like this, please. Probably the worst um, experience in my life was in my early 20s when uh, I developed an anxiety disorder. I didn't understand it at the time uh, because it was just very odd. Like one day, um, I lost control of my mind, literally. I couldn't, I couldn't think thoughts that I wanted to. Instead, my mind was supplying me with thoughts that were horrible. Uh, It's called obsessive compulsive disorder. It's morphed over the years. But I remember very clearly not understanding, being, you know, 23, something like that, 24, uh, 25, and and just crying out, being like, God, what? I had this amazing future, and now I can't sleep. The first thing I experience every time I wake up is, like, soul crushing fear. And I don't understand. And it's not like I haven't been calling on you, God. I've been calling on you and calling on you and calling on you. I've been praying and praying and praying. You don't answer. The first thing in your note sheets, God, why don't you do something about this? For every one of us, this is different. Your this is not my this. 
Some of us have this is that are, we share that are in common a little bit. But why don't you do something about this, God? And the, and the brings up the question, what is your this? Is it something really big? Is it something really small? Habakkuk is looking around and he's seeing all of the, the poor and, and faithful being crushed by their leaders. And he's like, God, why don't you stop that? For us, a lot of times, I think in, in this culture, it tends to be stuff that's more like in, in, inward. We, we tend to be more focused on like ident- identity, um, you know, anxiety, uh, who we are. There's so much, uh, especially with the youth, about um, sex and gender and, and sexual orientation, uh, relationships. That tends to be kind of what we, we focus on. But, but what's your this? And how big is it? That's the next question. Is it too big even for God? In my own experience, uh, when, when, when anxiety took over my life, the, the, the biggest thing was I hid it from everyone. That was my, that was my, uh, my, my modus operandi. I, I hid. I didn't let anyone inside. I, I suffered in silence um, because I was so scared about what people would think of me if they knew uh, what was going on. And for me, the only person I talked to for a long time was God. And so I don't know, you know, what your this is or, or if you're in the middle of it or if it's in the past or maybe it's just starting. But when your this hits, you cry out and you're like, God, what's the plan? Well, God told Habakkuk the plan. This didn't happen to me. Uh, it took a while for me to, to figure things out. But God, through the prophet, tells us his plan for Israel, for Jerusalem. Listen, listen to this plan. That God has. Look among the nations and watch. Be astonished and stare. Something is happening in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. I am telling you. But you would not believe it if someone told you this other than me. How amazing this is going to be. Check out what I'm going to do. I'm going to rouse the Chaldeans. That's the, uh, the early Babylonian empire to the north of Israel. That bitter and impetuous nation which travels throughout the earth to possess dwelling places it does not own. The Chaldean is dreadful and fearful. He makes his own justice and dignity. See, here's the deal. Israel's bad, right? Israel has the law, so we know what justice is supposed to be. But the leaders, they don't, they don't follow through with it. The Babylonians are worse. The Chaldeans are worse. They make up their own justice. They decide what's right and good. They decide, and, and they do it through the power of their, their, their arms. And, and they put down and they destroy anybody who disagrees. God goes on. They come for violence. Habakkuk's like, well, we already have violence. God's like, oh, guess what? More is coming. The horde with all their faces set toward the desert. He takes captives like sand. He makes fun of kings. The, the rulers are ridiculous to the Babylonians. They laugh at every fortress. And then they pile up dirt and they take it. They, they pile up these ramps to get over the walls. They go and they sack these cities. There's a little good news, though. Good news, Habakkuk. Not only do I have this amazing plan, but guess what? He passes, uh, the Babylonians pass through like wind and invade, but eventually they'll be held guilty. The one whose strength is his God. We're gonna, we're not, I'm not gonna let him get off the hook for this. And good news, he's gonna pass like a wind and then be gone. So it's not gonna be super long. Great plan! This is what this plan looks like to me. (laughs) 
And I know, and we're going to see that Habakkuk feels the same way. God is like, Habakkuk's like, look, the city is on fire. And God's like, here's some gasoline, put it out. There's violence everywhere. You're like, oh, you've not seen anything yet. The, the elites are taking advantage of the poor. Well, now everyone's going to get taken advantage of. Listen to what Habakkuk says. He hears this. Lord, aren't you ancient, my God, my holy one? You, don't, you do not die. You're forever. You are not the God of the dead. You're the God of the living. How is violence going to solve this problem? How is death going to make things right? That's not how you're supposed to operate. Lord, you put the Chaldean, the, the Babylonians here for judgment. Rock, you've established him as a rebuke. But wait, that can't be right. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You are unable to look at disaster. Why would you look at the treacherous or keep silent when the wicked swallows the one who is more righteous? God, you're too good for this. This plan that you have is not, it's not, you're not, it's not worthy of you. How can you watch? I mean, I get it. Yes, the king and the priests and, and the rulers and the princes and the lawyers, they're terrible. Yes, but the ones who are coming are worse. How can you keep silent while the wicked one swallows one who's, okay, just a little bit, but definitely more righteous? That's the next thing you know, cheats. Really? Really, God? That's what you're going to do about this? I can't tell you how many times um, <laughs> that's been my prayer when I'm praying for you all and your families, your kids. Because sometimes I'm just looking and I'm like, No offense, but I think my plan's better. There's a couple of things that we take from this. All right? this, this is something very, very critical. Uh, when we're in the waiting room, it is not wrong to be honest with God about your true feelings and concerns. God can handle it. God's big enough. As I started to find out um, more about anxiety disorders, it turned out that there's something wrong with my brain. Um, the scientists don't know for sure, but they think it has something to do with serotonin and the way that my brain um, fails to produce it or reabsorb it. And so they've got some drugs out there that you can take that um, can, can help. Um, but as I was going through therapy and beginning to understand what was happening, what I, what I came to realize, what I came to understand over a long period of time, is that uh, this isn't something that gets fixed. It can be mitigated a little bit, but this is actually something that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Really, God? That's your plan? I have a better plan. In my plan, you heal me, and I feel good, like I used to. 
but I don't like this plan where you allow a thorn to be shoved into my mind and you say that your grace is sufficient. I don't like that. And the thing is, I prayed that so many times. And I'm telling you, it helped. Now, there's probably some of you who are like super good at Christianity. And there's a few of you who are saints. And, and so, so you're in the waiting room and you're like, God, I praise you. I glorify you in the midst of this madness. I am confident that you're the king. And I submit to all that you're doing. And I praise you for it, whatever it looks like. There's a few of you like that. But for the rest of us, for those of us who are not that there yet, I want you to know it's okay for you to cry out to God and be like, no! Because God's big enough to handle you at your worst. Moreover, uh, this is the second thing, when you're crying out, at least you're keeping the lines of communication open. That's a form of trust. It's when you stop communicating with whoever it is that you're having a problem with, that's when you show that you don't trust anymore. It's if you're still willing to get in there and, and, and fight for it and, and communicate and, be, and, and let the person know where you're at, that's a form of trust. That's saying, look, things are bad and I don't like it, but I do trust you enough to to keep the conversation going. And that's what you're saying to God. You're like, God, I don't like where this is headed. And the atheists and the the people outside, they're going to tell me that the reason things are going bad is because everything's chaos. There's no overarching meaning to any of this. And we're just hurtling through space and bad things happen. But God, I am going to stop and say, look, I don't get it and I don't like it, but I'm going to stay with you. And I'm going to keep talking. Even though it's no, and I don't like this, and please change your mind, I'm going to keep talking. Habakkuk uh, goes on. He's like, God, you've got to understand what you're— basically, God, you're opening a can of worms, and I'm afraid you won't be able to control them. Habakkuk says, you made human like the fish of the sea, like creeping things that, with no one to rule over them. The, the Chaldean, the Babylonian, bring them all up with a fish hook. He drags them away. Human beings, he drags them in a net. He collects them in a fishing net. Then he rejoices and celebrates. He sacrifices to his net. Uh, Habakkuk's talking about the weapons of war. Uh, the Babylonians would end up worshiping the weapons of war because they brought such power. Um, so not fishing nets literally, but standing in for a violence. Uh, because due to them, due to violence, he gets a bunch of fat, good happiness. His food's luxurious. He's eating the finest things. Why? Because he's willing to kill. And he ends with this. It's like, God, really? Should he continue to empty his net and continue to slay nations without sparing them? I know some of your stories and I know how faithful you are in the midst of some brutal stuff. And what I want to share with you today, number one, is it's okay to pour your heart out. And it's okay if you pouring your heart out doesn't, it it seems like it's not holy and it's not good. It's okay for you to hurt the way that you're hurting and it's okay for you to tell God, God can handle it. 
But I also want to say this. I, the, the scriptures are they're, they're incredible. You know, I, I come from more of an academic background. And so typically when I read the Bible, I'm just trying to understand the history and, and all of these things. But there, there are times when I'm reading the scripture and I'm just like, wow. I, I just see these resonances and these echoes. And it just convinces me all over again uh, that this is truly God's word to his people. And I just, I just want you to look at the end of Habakkuk's complaint one more time. Just, just think about this. You made human like, humans like the fish of the sea. And what do we do with fish? Well, we got to catch them. And the Babylonians, they do it through violence. They catch people to kill them. And Habakkuk doesn't understand how it's all going to work out. He's just a small guy in the middle of a world historical order. I could tell you how it's all going to work out. Like eventually they're going to get carried, the Israelites are going to get carted off to Babylon. Then they're going to come back. Then they're going to uh, fail again, tr- uh, trying to follow God's ways. God's going to have to come in with the emergency rescue plan. God's going to send Jesus to do what the Jewish people, the Israelites, and, and all of humanity could not do on our own. God's going to do that. And one of the things that's going to happen when Jesus comes is he's going to decide, yes, he, the the... the the words of Habakkuk are going to echo in Jesus' mind because he knows the scriptures like the back of his hand. And he's going to say, at one time, God sent uh, fishers of men uh, to kill and to bring violence. But I am going to bring a different kind of fishers of men. And if you remember, one of the first things, uh, first miracles that Jesus does is uh, he, he convinces uh, Simon Peter uh, to go out fishing after failure, after failure, after failure. And he takes, takes him out, and, and Simon's exhausted. He's been up all night. He, uh, he just, he's had it. And Jesus says, one more time, throw the net out. And of course, the catch is so big that it's sinking the boat. It's, it's going to pay for everything. His life is set because of this incredible, incredible catch. There's fish all over the place flopping here and there. And, and Simon and his brother and others, they're just, they're gobsmacked that this could happen. And Jesus says, yeah, that's pretty cool that um, you're going to get rich here on this catch, but that's not what I have in mind for you. I want you to catch people like this. One of the interesting things about the show, The Chosen, um, and while they take a whole lot of artistic liberties, I, I think it's interesting that they always, they're always interested in, in what, what the big this is for the disciples. And so when the fisher of men, when they do that story, uh, they have this whole subplot where Peter, uh, he's in debt, and he, he can't get out of it, and he's scared. And he's like, God, where are you? He's just like a back. God, when are you going to show up for me? And finally God does, but God does it in a very odd, very surprising, very wild way. God says, I'm not just going to wipe out your debt. I'm going to put you in a whole new line of work. You're going to be out there hooking humans for me. You're going to fill them up in your nets. But not, not for violence like the Babylonians, not to kill them, not to oppress them, but instead to bring them to life. And in the doing of that, you're going to be re-brought to life. You are going to go and find the people who have nothing, who are hopeless, the ones who are mired in sin and death, and you're going to bring them up. We're going to see that Habakkuk is going to, it's not all doom and gloom, but in the moment, in, in the waiting room, in the waiting room, what Habakkuk needs 
is he needs to set his eyes on the big prize. You see, his eyes are set on the here and now. And I think so much, so many of us probably feel the same way, especially about our own culture. Do we feel like our leaders uh, really care about the, the, the least among us? Or do we feel like our leaders are out there to gra- smash and grab and make themselves rich? Do we really believe that the people in this culture are, are out to make things good and right again? Or do we see the people in this culture and we, and we think that the, the ones at the top are actually out for themselves? And we get so bogged down in it. We get so overwhelmed by it. We, we look at the leaders and we're like, man, can you fix the economy? Because I know people can't afford gas. And they don't. And we say, why? We're in the waiting room being like, God, why don't you show up? Why don't you wipe out these people that are, that are oppressing us? Why don't you fix things? Reform them. And I don't know what God's plan is, but in the middle of it, in the waiting room, what God's actually asking for us to do is, is make the main thing the main thing again and go be a fisher of men. Habakkuk may not realize it, but this little episode in the history of Israel is going to, in somehow, some way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to provide a path and a way for God to, to change the Babylonian way of fishing for men and make it Jesus' way. That's the last thing in your note sheets. Somehow, some way, God is going to use this to make us fishers of men. I don't know what your this is. But I'm telling you, it is there. It is a part of your life because God wants you to cast your nets. I don't think it's a coincidence that um, a lot of people here battle with uh, mental health issues. I remember the night that, uh, that God broke me where um, I was like, okay, <laughs> if this is your plan, okay. I really don't like it because I can still remember what it was like to not have this. But over the last... Um, you know, 16, 18 years, however long it's been. I've noticed that um, the kid who uh, (laughs) had it all figured out and was kind of a jerk, um, okay, a big jerk, has become somebody who is compassionate for those who are hurting. It's not because I'm great. It's because I hurt too. And I know what it's like. And in a way, God has made me a fisher of men in that. I still don't like the plan. But I know that it's about something bigger than me. I don't know what the plan is for your this. But I know that it's bigger than you. And that if you let it, and if you stay with it, it's going to make you a fisher of men. Let's pray.
Gracious God and Father, we come to you as people with, with really big thises. There's people here with really big hurts, really big clouds, really big fears. And God, we confess that sometimes we really don't like your plan. Sometimes your plan hurts. And God, we uh, come to you as people who are weak. We praise you, God, that you're able to handle it when we tell you how it is. And we pour out our hearts in pain. Sometimes in anger. Sometimes in confusion and disbelief. God, we trust that somehow, some way, you're going to take this, this, and you're going to do that with it, and you're going to turn us into fishers of men. May our gospel be on. May your gospel be on our lips. May we be out there, searching and, and dropping nets and trying to bring more and more people to you. In the midst of our pain, may. be more useful to you, more encouraged by the, the weight of your glory, keeping the main thing the main thing. God, we bless you even when we don't understand. We're going to keep the conversation going even when we're not sure if we really like what you're doing. And in the end, God, we trust that through our honesty, through our travails, that you will reveal bright future hope and eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.